great. Thank you. Thank you very Good much. Good to see you all. Yeah. The, uh, our connection to the UK uh, really started with Tim and Chevy mm -hmm. back in 1988, 89. We actually uh, came to see them when they were leading the church in Birmingham. Immediately connected, found every chance we could to spend time together um and would and have done that quite a bit and we back about 10 years ago for about you know maybe five six years running straight we had been uh, coming doing parent workshops or marriage workshops or whatever but just really an excuse to spend time with Thames Valley our oldest daughter Tamara went to the University of Reading and I'm pretty sure she would say her best church experience uh was the Thames Valley years yeah. And yeah. uh, so she definitely sends her love. And um, so we're very honored to be uh, part of this. We went into full-time consulting January 1st, 2014. And uh, we've been gone to lots of places. I think we had about 17 consultations since that time. Uh, Tricia is a full-time Montessori teacher, but also is in the consulting work with me. We have a project we're just now beginning in Tennessee and uh, we love our work it's it's fun um, but getting uh to a very important topic of cultivating uh safe and healthy relationships this is a big part of church work uh, mm -hmm. that we do and we talk yeah. about so i'm going to go ahead and uh, pull up our screen and get us going so i'll begin with this this concept that we as individuals can be influenced by our way we are healthy with other people, either through the family we grew up in, which may be weird and dysfunctional, may be healthy, may be great, maybe not. Uh, or it can be in society, uh, the places that we work, the community, the town that we are in, or it can come from the church, no matter at what age somebody comes into the church or how functional or dysfunctional they've been or unhealthy, the church should be one of the safest places in the world. That's the place where we bear our souls, we open our lives, we get teaching and guidance and influence. And mm -hmm. sometimes the church is not that. And we're going to talk about some of that today, what to do in that situation. But really, we want to be proactive by emphasizing the six things that will help us get there. Why is there so much talk of safety and health and churches, specifically in this century? Mm -hmm. There's so, so much about it. A lot is going on in the world. Right. A lot. And right now, a lot of that's going on in the world is coming into the church. And the church can no longer get a you can't get away with things we're all being held accountable even not even in a kind way often <laughs> but everybody's holding everybody accountable nowadays yeah. and so there's a number of books that have come out the two middle books here power understanding power uh what's that called power understanding authority and yeah redeeming power church. understanding authority in the church that woman diane langberg spoke on a video podcast with Kyle Spears, a, a disciple and friend of mine. Uh, he has Truth, Trauma, and Theology podcast. I recommend it. He said that Langbird's uh, 
podcast was the most downloaded, the most viewed. And so that, that says something. A church called Tav, and Tav is a Hebrew word for good, is following the Willow Creek uh, megachurch <clears throat> scandal that took place and came out in the news in 2018. But it's a book for all sorts of uh, situations where the churches and leaders need to be held accountable. But the books you see there on the screen are really popular, and that's just a short list. There's so many in the category of how do we make sure we're in a safe and healthy uh, church. There was a movie called Spotlight dealing with the Catholic Church scandal uh, in the Boston Diocese, and that was an award-winning movie, very well done, and about holding that diocese and the cardinal accountable. And then there's the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, which is in the top 10 category for 2021. It's 12 episodes. It follows a scandal in the Mars Hill Church in Seattle. The church went from 1996 to 2014 and no longer exists. But mm. the, the story is helpful for any kind of church, uh, making sure that it's a healthy church. Yeah. And so then it opens us to this question. Can the scrutiny from books, podcasts, and movies be a good thing for Christianity? And I think so. I think it definitely can be mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that we're just who we are is going to be seen. Yeah. We're a city on the hill. Let's do church right. Let us be the safe place. Let us be the healthy place and do the things that takes to get us there. So we're going to go over um, six um, topics in our short presentation where we have a lot of room for discussion afterwards. But we're going to be um, discussing what it means to choose wisely in our relationships and um, being joined together by a shared purpose. And what it means also just to critique constructively. I mean, we, we are called to critique one another, but how can we do that in a constructive, helpful way? Um, with our congregations and our relationships allowed, allowing for divergent um, opinions and settling issues quickly, which is um, you know, sometimes really challenging. And in the end, we're gonna talk about um, what it means to seek maturity and what does maturity in the scriptures look like? And choosing wisely, um, this, uh, the opposite of this was me as before I was a Christian. I chose very unwisely in my relationships and it ended up, um, you know, causing quite a disaster for me, which led me to seeking God, which God always turns those things around if you are humble with him. Um, Proverbs 12, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And this was a concept for me as a Christian that was um, new because when I became a Christian, it was sort of understood even in our fellowship that those relationships are chosen for us, even by other people. But the fact that we have, um, we have responsibility to choose our friends, to choose who is going to influence us. 
uh, in Proverbs 27, verse 17, and iron, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, which was a good hint for me of who I needed to choose as a friend, um, somebody that was going to sharpen me in my walk with God. In Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get into trouble. I think it's Warren Buffett, who is a, a really wealthy American, but um, a, a humble person in a lot of ways. He, um, he talks about one of the reasons that he has success is he chose to be, um, he was, he was, he chose to be with people that, um, their walk was, was, um, better than his, basically. He, he looked to the wise. And in Proverbs 18, verse 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And basically we're accountable for our, uh, for who we're influenced by. Where I go for wisdom is on me. I can't really blame. I can't go to God and say, well, it was all their fault. It's, it's really up to me to do who I'm choosing to influence me. Um, looking to a few for wisdom while embracing the whole. Just because I'm choosing who I'm getting um, my wisdom from does not mean I'm not also embracing the whole of the church. And um, there's, a, there's a quote from Peter Stanky, who will, we're going to talk about this author throughout our, um, throughout our class this morning, but um, the, the quote is, the word whole implies that there are parts and the parts are connected. Wholeness is not to be confused with oneness. And it doesn't mean that I'm melded into the other where I don't know where I end and where they begin, but I can still embrace the whole um, of the body. Let's talk about now about the idea of our partnerships and our friendships joining us because of we're joined by a shared purpose. Uh, as you would read First Samuel, in the earlier chapters of First Samuel, you find that Jonathan, Saul's son, fought bravely for Israel, for, for God's honor. He was a risk taker. He went behind enemy lines. He was in very dangerous situations. He defeated the enemy uh, against the odds. He was a very admirable, likable person uh, as we read those first 13 chapters. When you go to chapter 17, David, young David, emerges as the person who defeats Goliath. And so we have another remarkable, courageous person that enters the story. And then we find that the two meet, and how they met was right after the defeat of Goliath, Saul is spending time with David, hearing his version of this war story, probably. And it says, after David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He saw in David something that he had in himself, but probably was called upward and thinking, I could be with somebody like that because we care about God's honor. We care about uh, Israel. 
moving into this area that God has given us and driving out the Philistines. This was a really important thing. And I think that also can work with us today when we care about something within the church. It doesn't always have to be the Great Commission, although that should really bond us. But it can be lots of different things that are important in the journey of our faith in our community. When we're working side by side, maybe it could be uh, in a small group. Uh, it could be serving in a, a role that's a very important function of the church. Mm -hmm. But when we do it together, when we do life together with somebody that thinks this is important, this thing we're doing, uh, that can be a helpful basis of forming a relationship. And we have all sorts of different kinds of relationships, so we shouldn't put them all in the exact same category, but this is one that can really make a difference in helping the church be healthy and to be well. And one of the reasons that works is David and Jonathan, I'm sure they can talk to each other about the most fragile elements of their life. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need. We need somebody we can confess sins to and help protect us as happened here. Jonathan protected David uh, when we need the protection. Also, in we want to be able to critique constructively. So it says here, for this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life, Proverbs 6.23. Commands are the lamp, teachings are the light, and instructions are the way to life. You know, sometimes people see us better than we see ourselves, and certainly about some aspect of us. To know me in the first five years of my Christian life, nobody would have uh, seen me on the trajectory of being a consultant, being somebody that helps people solve their problems. Uh, I was super, super unrefined, did not have uh, social graces, was just, and I was in my 20s. I, I had a lot of people guiding me along the way. Uh, maybe names you probably wouldn't recognize, but maybe you would, but uh, these are influences, and I still have influences. I have weekly influences of people that might say, Steve, if I were you, I would do it this way. Uh, you're better when you do this than when you do that. Um, that could be professionally. It could be personally. Uh, to question the decision that I've made that could be another example. Uh, whoever gives life to this decision, correction will be at home among the wise, whoever heeds life-giving. Sometimes we get the best help when we need it the most, but we don't know how desperately we need it. I said we should remember the golden rule. So if we're going to correct somebody, we should do it in a way that we would want to receive correction. You know, and that means the right setting and the delivery, how we come across yeah. to show respect. And then wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Sometimes we do get uh, a piercing insight that hurts when we hear it from somebody who has our best interests in mind. And sometimes we may not even be as grateful at the moment when we're getting it, but perhaps the wound gets our attention and then at some point in time, we go, oh, I needed that. But always remember the golden rule, though, because 
we want, we don't want to go around wounding people. The goal is to help deliver the, the thing that needs to be said when it needs to be said the way it needs to be said. And that would be the one way we can create a healthy and safe church. Now, Trish is going to uh, read some scriptures and talk to you about allowing for divergent opinions. But I want you to think right now, in your world in the last two years, has political things, criminal justice discussions, systemic societal issues, protests, the role of women, national history, the police, uh, the vaccine requirements, the reach of government, and these denominational um, scandals, mm -hmm. yeah, megachurch things, have they impacted your relationships? Have, have you been around a lot of opinions uh, on social media and family discussions and church discussions? I would bet you we would, 100% of us would say, yes, something's happened in the last two years. And in order for us to have a safe and healthy church, we've got to be able to navigate these issues with the following scriptures in mind. Yes, allowing for the divergent opinions. Um, I think just even being in the world and in my job and my community at work really helps me um, with this, um, strengthening myself in this. Um, accepting the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, Romans 14.1. One person considers one day more sacred than another, Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. You then, why do you judge your brother and or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Um, uh, Romans 14.5, when one person considers one day more sacred than another, I love the I love the phraseology in there where it talks about being fully convinced in their own mind and how many of us are fully convinced of something that's an opinionated matter and our being convinced is part of our faith and God leaves so much room for that that we can be fully convinced with something that's an opinionated matter that somebody else is not convinced of. Should we try to convince somebody else of that when it's not a salvation issue? And we have to be careful about what we um, consider a salvation issue um, because there are so many um, non-salvation issues that are somebody is fully convinced of. Um, that um, we need to give each other space with that. And when we seek, we're gonna talk about seeking maturity, but this really is something that God calls us to because he looks at the world and we are obviously gonna have so many different things that we're convinced of that are different from one another. I mean, we're in a, in a family, we have three daughters. They're all married to men that didn't know each other at all before they were married to our daughters and now there's children, our grandchildren, and there's a lot of different opinions in our own family system. And we're fortunate to all be disciples of Christ, um, but we have very different opinions about things and somebody can be really convinced, but I love when they do give each other space 
to have those different opinions. And that's a, a little micro micro uh, church in right, a sense. Right. Um, but doing that in the broader church um, and really um, giving each other space. Yeah. We should, according to the same chapter, Romans 14, not only stop passing judgment on each other, but also remove stumbling blocks that that hinder our unity and our oneness and our relationships. And uh, sometimes the stumbling blocks are the way we come across. And sometimes it's a uh, taking a position stronger than needs to be said. But we should open ourselves up to the vulnerability that we may be doing that somehow in the way we come across. We should do make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And every effort would at least include this. Open yourselves up for the possibility for and through feedback that you may be one of the reasons there isn't peace and unity. There's something in how you came to a position on something that may be part of a problem, you know, the way you grew up, your formation or whatever, but you would open yourself up to the possibility there's something about you and the way you come across. Uh, so it's not so much about having different opinions as what we do with them, you know. Um, two books that we recommend for this, this um, point is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. It's a very short read, although Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a heavy writer. I mean, yeah. he's, a, he's in it, and he's also really in an intense place in his life. It's right before his death. And he was, uh, of course, martyred. And um, he is talking about, in his book, he writes about um, what it means to be together with other Christians that you don't, you wouldn't necessarily choose that community um, for, for the worldly aspects. And um, really just a good convicting read about what it means to have life together. And the other book um, is um, Healthy Congregations and Living, Having a Healthy Church. It's by Peter Stanky. He has a series out um, all around having um, healthy relationships and healthy congregations in Christianity. Peter Stanky, which is S-T-E-I, I believe, N-K-E. Yeah. And um, both those books really, really tutor us on allowing for divergent opinions and, and embracing the wholeness of our of right. our faith family. Yeah, very good. I agree with that. Okay, settling issues quickly. Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar, remember, you remember your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there at the front of the altar, then go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle very quickly. And offering the gift is symbolic of anything that we would be doing that's a distraction from doing the most important thing at that time, which is settling matters quickly. And so in a similar verse in Matthew 18, is, but it's flipped. If you see a brother sinning, go to them, brother or sister. And in that passage, it's really important to remember. The goal is not to go shame the brother or sister. It's not to go put them out of the church. It's not to 
do anything harmful. It's to actually win them over. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we think somebody's sinned and they haven't, or we've heard they've sinned and they haven't. So you always got to go with the humility of saying, well, let's unpack what happened. But if they sin, the goal is to win them over to not doing that sin and reversing the consequences, going making things right. But also, I would say settling issues quickly or matters quickly also applies to tensions, feelings, differences that we have that are causing us discomfort. And the reason I say that is when we hold on to something that puts a wedge between us and another person, it can build up. It can become something much bigger than it ever needed to be. And uh, if that person that you're feeling those things towards doesn't know it, it's not fair to them. Um, they have a right to know how you're feeling. It's important. It should be important to them. We do find ourselves in situations where it's so uncomfortable to go have that talk. We're afraid we're going to make it worse. In uh, that kind of a predicament, you can get a coach. You can get a third person. So let's say I have a problem with Bob and the way he comes across. He's just way over the top and too emotional. I could go to Bob and say, Bob, I think we need help uh, about a dynamic between us. I'd feel much more comfortable if there was somebody there that you and I both felt good to talk us through it. Who would you suppose would be a good person that we could both? And when you select the person that they want, it's more likely that they're going to feel like your goal is to be helpful. You, you really want the relationship uh, to be sorted out and the dynamics that put you there. So settling matters quickly. If we don't, we build up a church of all sorts of feelings and attitudes, and, and eventually we lose our radiance as a church if we don't settle mm -hmm. issues quickly. We, yeah, before we go on to the next, with settling matters quickly, I mean, we've gone into congregations and been in congregations where people have had feuds, yeah. <laughs> feuds for years, where it's, oh, I don't associate with those people. And we, we really um, need to address that with one another. Yeah. Um, seeking maturity. Um, yeah, so in our life, um, our goal as a Christian in my, in my life, I want to be mature and, um, God also wants us to be mature because it will build up the entire body and it will win people over to Christ as well. Maturity, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Um, gosh, you know, just those two scriptures right there. It, it's it's going to be a constant uh, trying to achieve that. You know, it's like three steps forward, two steps back. When I, I mean, the call is so high. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. Um, and I'm not, I'm not there yet. I, I often will stumble in what I say. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And 
this is not this is not a quick process. It's not an overnight process, but it's that um, the habits that we um, that we practice um, throughout our Christianity. And I think when I think about um, wanting to be mature, I have to practice what maturity looks like every day. And um, without the practice, it's it's not going to come. So in the pursuit of maturity, I, I love Colossians 1. It shows that that is one of the goals of our relationships, to proclaim, admonish, teach with all wisdom. Our goal is to help somebody become fully mature in Christ. So there's an intentionality about it. So I wanted to find that word because in the English word mature comes from the Greek word teleos. And it's an adjective, it's derived from an adjective that can mean, depending on the context, purpose, goal, fulfillment, realization, idealized outcome, fully grown. It's about accomplishing, lacking nothing. So there's a there's a, uh, a power behind that word. And it's also used by Paul in Ephesians 4, when the purpose of the, uh, the apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers is to help a person, help the church become mature. And he uses teleos twice there in Ephesians 4. It's a big, big deal. That should be the arc of our congregation and for us as individuals. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, what's interesting, I didn't mention this on the previous uh, session we just had with the, the other track, but that um, I'm one of the uh, people behind a magazine called the Teleos Journal. And it's, we've had two out, third one's coming out in February. You can subscribe, just look for Teleos Journal out there. But we were very excited when we were coming up with a name for our journal, when Steve Kennard, the, the general, the main editor, uh, looked up this word. He goes, this is what we want for our church, that we want to help our church to become uh, mature and reach its greatest potential achievement. So let's make sure every article we have in there achieves that. But that should also be true about the things we do in the church, uh, our strategies and our plans and whatever role that you may have um, to do that. So these are the six things we've talked about. We have one more slide that we'll discuss with you in a moment. Uh, it was a late slide that we decided to add uh, because of we have a story from our history, but we, we suggest you choose wisely, be joined with others by shared purpose, critique constructively, allow for divergent opinions, settle issues quickly, and seek maturity. So we would be ending here, but I have a brief story, and then Trish is going to explain something. The slide you have in front of you, I want to give you the genesis of it. I became an elder in 2000, and we well, only had two of us, Church of 3,400. We knew we had a problem with a lot, a lot of discouraged people. And we did a survey. We found that we had hundreds of people that were in a category of not doing well. We call them dispirited right here. Uh, and something happened along their journey that made them, put them in that category. We wondered if there was something we were doing wrong in the church that put them in that category. So we did a survey and the survey found that one out of five people were in that space because of the way they felt treated by a leader. 
But the other four out of five were, you know, significant life issues that happens to everybody. And, but the church wasn't doing a very good job helping them through hardships in life. It could be a job loss. It could be all sorts of things, health issues and uh, marriage struggles and so forth. So we realized we were stuck and we learned from another person in California about a process called spiritual recovery. And what, what that was is we eliminated midweeks and we eliminated Bible talks and created a Friday night event for people to come and have a meal in six different geographical locations to be in the home of a mature couple and partnered with another mature couple to do like a brief study of something that would be helpful. Um, I think the first one we did, we just did the parable of the sower because <laughs> it has a maturity component in the gospel of Luke in it. So we, uh, and then we would have open discussion and uh, we had certain rules for what could happen in the discussion, but then we would break and people would hang around and stay all night on a Friday night, not all, all night, but like late, it would, it would stick around because there wasn't work the next day. And it turned out to be something special. Now, I want Tricia to describe what the slide you see in front of you, and you can even describe the rules that we put in place in spiritual recovery. Yeah, so in spiritual recovery, you didn't, you couldn't come and, and talk about other people. You had to talk about your, your own reactions or feelings, but you're speaking for yourself. You're not saying everybody or, you know, those people or, you know, John Smith said to me or did this to me. So there was there was sort of a um, rules of engagement, so to speak. But I think one of the things we realized was what was happening there. We we shouldn't have a separate separate um, you know night for spiritual recovery. It's it's really what how we should build our church. Our church should be able to embrace one another um, in, in the different stages that we all go through. And um, I was reading a book that was called The Different Drummer by Scott M. Peck. And this was about 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. And there was something embedded in his, in his book about just the stages we go through as people. And he didn't have it numbered one through four, but I saw a pattern um, in my own um, observations about our churches or our church family that we were in and um, other congregations around us in the Midwest. And I noticed that the pattern I noticed was that what you see on the screen is that when somebody is baptized, we're all at a similar place when we're baptized. So grateful for our salvation, you know, just um, that eagerness that comes with, you know, wanting to learn from, from scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. And then we sort of graduate from that beginning to be so enthusiastic about our Christianity and maybe even about um, the way we became a Christian. And so we are, we are the best advertisers for Christianity in a sense at that point. You know, um, I was in college, you know, I like went to my art, the art building, I was an art major and, you know, just shared with everybody my conversion and um and i and i you know was uh, effective in communicating my my faith and won over people um 
But as life happens, there are going to be situations that maybe not for a long time, and maybe it's decades for some people, but that will um, stop us in our tracks. And maybe it's uh, grief, death, it could be depression, it could be um, an unresolved conflict, it, it could be many things we talk about in our consulting, having play space, a congregation has play space, so we have a lot of room to make mistakes and have things happen, but we have personal play space too where you know, we, we can take it, we can take it, we can take it. And then there becomes a point where we can get really stopped with um, our discouragement. And a lot of people, when in my observation, were stuck there. And which is one of the reasons we, um, you know, loved that Marty Wooten developed spiritual recovery, because we we're like, okay, what, how can we help with, with that stuckness? But the mature are the ones that could help. It was interesting because the enthusiasts were, which were honestly some of our Bible talk leaders, maybe some of our evangelists and maybe some of our um, young staff, sometimes older staff were, were the enthusiasts who are offended by the disparated. So they really couldn't be super helpful. And um, sometimes just wanted to move on past them. But the disparated are so important in our family of wholeness because um, it's something that I believe almost every person will probably go through in their spiritual walk. And the mature, if you've noticed, the mature are never offended by the disparated. They, they really just want to figure out how to help the disparated. And they're, they're, um, their disposition is not offense, but, but to be helpful. And, uh, I want to be there. I want to be that mature person that is not offended by a dispirited person. Um, so I, that's what I noticed 20 years ago. I wouldn't have necessarily called myself living in maturity 20 some years ago, but it, it definitely, I, I had a goal to, to uh, practice the things that could bring me to maturity because I, I myself understood what being dispirited, dispirited was. Yeah, what I would add there too is uh, two things. Number one is it ended up being somewhat successful what we were doing in this sense is that there was a, a joy coming back to people that they had long lost. And uh, there was people were going back into the normal church world saying, man, I'm having so much fun on Friday nights. They were getting something out of it. The other thing I would say to you is if you're right now, you go, I'm a three. Okay. Let's, and <laughs> it's okay to say you're a three, you know, uh, then the best thing you can do is to make sure you have mature people that you can look to talk with, get guidance from. It doesn't help us to talk to other dispirited people, other number threes very much. We could ruminate with each other and it can actually be uh, counterproductive. I don't mean cut, cut off a relationship with that person. I just mean, think in terms of what is really helpful when you are talking and who 
you talk to about that. So this was all under the sense of we want to have healthy and safe churches. And I think that's the church that's going to win the best in the day that we live in right now. This is a very important currency for the churches. I'm going to stop right there and say, let's go ahead and just kind of have some Q&A.